morning, church. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. And this is Paul addressing the Corinthians. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not but I have not been I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the, for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will not raise us also. He will raise us also. Do you not know that your body are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But however, but whoever is unite, united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do, do, you, do you not know that your body are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are, you are not your own. You, you were bought at a price, therefore, Honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at that passage together. Our Father, we thank you and praise you that you speak to us so plainly in the scriptures. We pray, our Father, we would have your spirit to receive your words and that you will be applying it to our hearts and showing us Uh, how you would change us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just start um, by very briefly commenting on what's going on in the news at the moment. I'm sure you saw this past week that the Church of England's bishops um, this past week have proposed uh, to introduce prayers of blessing for same-sex relationships. Now that's a big problem because as we saw last week, same-sex sexual activity is one of the things that the Bible says means someone won't inherit the kingdom of God. And so these prayers would literally be asking for God's blessing on something he said we mustn't do and that might bring our salvation into doubt. And that's not a very loving thing to do, to say the least. The proposals themselves are inconsistent and contradictory. They'll be discussed by the General Synod of the Church of England uh, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, and they might well unravel and change significantly over coming weeks and months. So I'm not going to give a running commentary, um, but let me just ask you to pray uh, for God to have mercy on the Church of England, for his will to be done, Uh, and for us as a church in due course to work out how we respond 
to whatever the final situation is. Let's get on this morning, though, uh, by continuing to let God set the agenda as we look at this next part of 1 Corinthians. We're on page uh, 1148 in the Church Bibles. Do please turn to it if you haven't done so already. It's important that you hear uh, what God is saying rather than on what I'm saying he's saying, if that makes sense. You need to check what I'm saying by um, what's actually in the scriptures. Page 1148, it's the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter six. And I've called this series of talks through these chapters of 1 Corinthians, I've called them Affairs of the Body. Now we're more used to talking about affairs of the heart, aren't we? Our culture assumes that what really matters is our hearts and our desires. In fact, some people say that it's harmful to hold our bodies back from doing what our hearts desire. Maybe in a religious setting, we think not so much uh, about our hearts, but about our souls. What really matters is whether my soul is saved, whether I'm communing with God. But again, it can have that same effect of thinking that what I do with my body doesn't really matter. Many cultures down through history have thought that our bodies are just temporary containers. In fact, slightly icky and embarrassing. They're passing away. Uh, They're like, I guess, ice cream tubs. Biological ice cream tubs. Useful, but not especially special and uh, ultimately disposable. It's our emotions and our desires and our spirits that represent the true me and that will go on after my body has um, rotted away or been burned up. But the Apostle Paul and actually the whole Bible insists that our bodies matter and what we do with our bodies matters. In today's Bible passage, he gives us a bunch of reasons why we should take great care over what we do with our bodies. And the first thing he says is that our bodies matter for holy freedom. He quotes what seems to be a slogan of the Christians in Corinth. I have the right to do anything. One of the great attractions of the new Christian religion in the first century was that it did away with lots of old, restrictive religious practices. To be a Jew meant keeping kosher food laws. It meant you had to be circumcised. It meant Sabbath regulations. But Christianity overturned all of that. Christians are free from religious laws. And it wasn't just the Jewish religion. There were all sorts of rules and regulations um, associated with the pagan religion of the Greco-Roman world. But when someone became a Christian, they were freed from those religious laws. And just the same today. If someone becomes a Christian from Islam, they're turning to freedom. The women can throw away the burqa. They're freed from keeping halal food laws. Christianity is freedom. All of that is true and it's good news. Hallelujah. But that freedom 
isn't a complete license for self-indulgent. It's not an absolute freedom just to do whatever takes our fancy regardless of the consequences. The Christians in Corinth celebrated their freedom. Back in chapter 5 we saw that they were proud even when one of their members was engaged in shocking sexual immorality. And now in chapter 6, Paul quotes their slogan, I have the right to do anything. But he adds two important qualifications. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. We need to use our freedom wisely to benefit ourselves and others. Just following our desires celebrating complete freedom is actually destructive to ourselves and to others. So as we celebrate our freedom in Christ from all the sorts of rituals and rules that other religions follow, we need to be asking, but what would be beneficial to myself and to others? The second qualification Paul gives to Christian freedom is this, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. If we pursue freedom, we run headlong for freedom, it's not long before we find that that very freedom that we've thrown ourselves into ends up enslaving us. Think about addiction. If you drink, or swallow or sniff or inject whatever you want it's not long before that wonderful freedom actually has become a controlling desire you end up in the slavery of addiction so our bodies matter for holy freedom Christian freedom doesn't mean that what we do with our bodies doesn't matter now we need to use our freedom wisely to benefit ourselves and others and to make sure that in our freedom we don't actually become more enslaved than we ever were before. Our bodies matter too for our heavenly future. The Corinthians seem to think and people say today that our bodies don't really matter, they're biological ice cream tubs, disposable. And there's a sense in which there's truth in that. Paul seems to be agreeing with another slogan of the Corinthians when he says in verse 13, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Most religions have food laws, kosher, halal, no beef, or something else. But Jesus said that it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean. That's just fuel that passes through and out the other end. Our stomachs and our food will not last into eternity. We still need to ask what's beneficial. Some things are better to put into our bodies than others. We still need to make sure we're not mastered by our food. He's spoken already about the sin of greed. And in fact, there are other considerations on what we eat that he's going to go in, on to talk about in chapter 8 onwards. But still, he seems to agree with the basic point that food is for our stomach, our stomach is for food, and uh, neither will last beyond this life. But then he makes a distinction 
with our bodies as a whole. Our bodies do matter. Middle of verse 13, he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The purpose of our bodies can't be reduced to simple processes like eating. And in fact, our bodies as a whole do have a future. Did you notice that as Evans read in verse 14? By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Just as Jesus was raised bodily from the dead on the third day, so our bodies will be raised on the last day. That's why traditionally Christians have been buried rather than cremated. It's a sign of confidence in future resurrection. Jesus is going to talk about this uh, in much greater depth in chapter 15 of this letter. But for now he wants us to see that our bodies matter for our heavenly future. In the rest of today's chapter, he goes on to develop the point that our bodies have a purpose. And that purpose isn't just a base function like our stomachs are for food. They're not just biological ice cream tubs. Our bodies are for the Lord Jesus. And the rest of our passage today is driving towards that conclusion in the last sentence, therefore, honour God with your bodies. Our bodies matter for honouring the Father. He applies his teaching especially to what we do with our bodies sexually. And this has probably been in his mind throughout. He started this whole section in chapter 15 by talking about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality has been the first thing he's mentioned in three short lists he's given of different types of sins and that is going to be the theme of the rest of today's teaching. Sometimes people accuse Christians of being obsessed by sex but I don't think it's us who are obsessed by it. It's our culture that's obsessed with sex just like Corinthian culture was in the first century. And because our bodies matter, what we do with them sexually matters. Paul said in verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And now he goes on to say what that means. He says, don't be torn between Christ and another. Have a look at verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Your bodies are members of Christ himself. We saw this actually in Ephesians chapter 4 a few weeks ago. When we become Christian people, we become body parts. We become a limb 
or an organ of the spiritual body, the church, which is the body of Christ. And that has big implications for our relationships with one another. As Paul said in Ephesians 4, and he's coming on to say in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. But it's also highly significant in terms of our relationship with Christ, the head of the body. Being a Christian isn't just a disembodied thing, just something for our soul and our spirits. No, it means that we're utterly united with him and our bodies become part of his bigger body. Our bodies have a purpose. They're Jesus' hands and feet and mouths here on earth. And so, says Paul, what we do with our bodies matters. How can we take this body part of Jesus and unite it with a prostitute? You see, sex actually means something. It means physically uniting myself with another person. He quotes Genesis chapter 2, the two will become one flesh. We say that at a wedding. It refers to the physical act of sexual union, but there's more to it than that. Sex carries emotional and relational power. It unites us with another person at a deep level. And Paul says we mustn't live a divided life. If we say we're Christian, we're united with Jesus. Our body is part of his bigger body. And so if we also unite ourselves as one flesh with a prostitute, we're being torn in two different directions. And when that happens, something has to give. Just think about when you're pulling a Christmas cracker with someone. Either the cracker slips out of one person's hand or the other, or it's torn in two. If you're pulling a cracker with someone, it's an unstable situation that can't last. And the longer it does, the more damage will be done. Don't put yourself in that situation, says Paul. Your bodies are meant for the Lord. Don't be torn between him and another. That's why he says in verse 18, we must flee from sexual immorality. And because our bodies are for the Lord, he goes on to say, don't sin against your own body. Verse 18, he says all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Last week, I said that sexual immorality is just one example of sin among many. The sexual sin is no worse sinner than any other kind of sinner. And yet, there is something particular about sexual sin. It's not easy to grasp exactly what his point is here. After all, we could argue that other sins, such as greed or self-harm or addiction, are also sins against our own body. But there seems to be something particular about sexual sin. Because sex is designed to unite our bodies with another, to unite our very selves with another. 
It doesn't just happen to involve our bodies, there's a sense in which the very purpose of our body profoundly and powerfully is to unite us with another. Ultimately, of course, with Jesus. Food or drink or drugs just pass through the body, maybe they cause damage on the way, but sex uniquely means handing over my body to another surrendering myself to them and so what we do with our bodies sexually matters it matters verse 19 because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit a temple is supposed to be a holy dwelling place for God and yet in sexual immorality we hand it over to another and it matters, verses 19 through to 20, because we've been bought at a great price. God the Son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for us at the cross. The highest price that has, has been paid or could ever be paid for anything. And so whilst at one level that might mean we have freedom from religious regulations here and now, actually at another level it means we belong completely to the one who paid the price. It's not up to us to do what we like with our bodies. They belong to Jesus and our purpose is to honour the Father. So do you see the importance of the things that Paul tells us to do in this passage? There are two bold commands. Verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. I hope we've seen just how repugnant it is, how inappropriate it is to use our bodies in a way that denies and destroys the profound union that a Christian has with Jesus. So we need to flee from sexual immorality in all its forms. The Greek word, I'm hesitant actually at this point uh, to refer to Greek because the person who taught me Greek has come to church this morning. Um, so uh, you can correct me Paul afterwards if I get this wrong. The Greek word that's translated uh, here as sexual immorality is pornea. And we've seen here one type of pornea, and that is having sex with a porne, which is a prostitute. But there are other types of pornea. Uh, the New Testament broadens the term. Back in chapter 5, Paul talks about the pornea of incest. That is a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. In chapter 6, verse 9, he mentioned the pornea of adultery, that is marriage-breaking, and the pornea of men having sex with men. In fact, pornea describes any sexual practice outside of the one that God intended, which is sex within marriage between a man and a woman. Let me say that again. Pornea describes any sexual practice outside of the one that God intended, which is sex within marriage between a man and a woman. And the instruction to flee from sexual immorality 
is a strong one. One preacher uses the analogy of fleeing from a bull. You don't ask, how close can I get to it without being in danger? No, you run for your life. You get as far from it as possible. And it's the same with Pornea. And so it concerns not just our physical acts, but what we look at, pornography, what we tempt ourselves to in flirtation, what we give our minds to in fantasy. Flee sexual immorality. I suspect this is one of the biggest challenges for godliness for many, many of us. Many people seem to think that Christians are preoccupied with gay sex in particular. No, that just happens to be the area where the Bible teaching has come under most attack in recent times. But many of us, gay or straight, married or single, are sexual sinners in our minds and what we look at and read even if we haven't taken the step of physically uniting our bodies with someone we shouldn't. What does fleeing sexual immorality look like for you? And then right at the end of the chapter, the, the sentence that I mentioned earlier, the flip side, honour God with your body. How can we positively use our bodies, which are members of Christ, bought by him to be temples of the Spirit and slaves for his purpose? How can we use them to serve him? Some people define themselves by their sexuality. Because sex is so integral to our bodies, our sexual desires can seem to define our identity. But the Bible says that for the Christian, our core identity is our relationship with Jesus. For our bodies, as well as our souls and spirits, I'm first and foremost a Christian man, regardless of my sexual desires. So how can I use my body to honour God? In particular, how can I take the time, the devotional energy, the attention that might be used to fantasize about sexual immorality and instead invest it in something altogether more holy and more fitting? So the message of this passage isn't just stop sleeping around break off that godly, ungodly relationship, stop looking at pornography. But it's also, how can I replace those things with something much more constructive, much more wholesome, things that are much more fitting with my identity as a member of Christ and with the, with the purpose of my body for which God made me. And we'll find that the more we give ourselves to those things, the more our desire for sexual immorality should just fade into the background too. Let me read those last few verses again and lead us in prayer. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? 
who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Teach us, we pray, our Father God, to see our bodies as you see them, as significant, as designed for your honour and glory. Please teach us to flee from sexual immorality and instead to give ourselves over entirely, to surrender ourselves to your service and your glory. Amen. As always, do talk to me afterwards, drop me an email um, or, uh, or, or catch me today over coffee if that's raised issues for you or you object violently to what you've heard or you just didn't understand. Next week we're going on to chapter 7 and talking about marriage and then after that um, singleness because sex is significant it's important in marriage and if sex is significant where does that leave um, unmarried people? Do keep coming back uh, over the next few weeks as we look at those questions and let me just mention I mentioned pornography as one particular struggle for people um, this book is really helpful it's by Tim Chester and it's called Captured by a Better Vision Living Porn Free um, I would recommend it to you I'll leave my copy here if anyone wants to flick through it afterwards